how to see and share Jesus from all of Scripture, well, learn with us at the Christ Centered and Clear podcast. Welcome to the Christ-Centered and Clear podcast, where we walk through the scriptures to see how they point to Jesus Christ. We've been in a series through the book of Proverbs, and today we're starting a mini-series, six weeks, on how to foolproof your family. These were a series of sermons that John Aiken preached at First Baptist Church of Naples. We think they'll be a real help to you to show you how to practically apply this in a, in a preaching or teaching setting. If you're not a preacher or teacher, I think you'll be encouraged and strengthened in your understanding of how Proverbs points to Christ and how that can serve your family. So join us now as we listen to the first of the series, How to Foolproof Your Family by John Aiken. My name is John Aiken. I'm your interim pastor. And I'm excited to be able to start a brand new sermon series with you this weekend called uh, Proverbs, How to Foolproof Your Family. And so we're going to be doing a series through the book of Proverbs on marriage and family over the next several weeks. And to start out, we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 9 today, because I want to start, this week is going to be more uh, theory in in terms of showing you what the book of Proverbs is all about to kind of lay the foundation for what the book of Proverbs says about marriage and family. And so we're going to lay the foundation today. What is the book of Proverbs? How do we understand it? How do we read it? And how does that set a foundation for what kind of marriage and family God wants us to have? How do we foolproof our families? That's what we're going to kind of lay the groundwork for uh, this weekend. And so we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 9, so get your Bible and turn there. But to understand what the book of Proverbs is all about is think about uh, the fairy tales that you read as a child or that were read to you or that you've seen movies on. Uh, In the fairy tale, oftentimes there's a young person, maybe a young girl or a young man, and they go out into the world and they try to avoid kind of the evil and the pitfalls that are out there in the world. And they try to find the right spouse. The young man goes out into the world. He's, maybe he's a prince and he's going to inherit the kingdom one day. He goes out into the world to find a bride, to find somebody to be his queen so that they can live happily ever after. And so that the kingdom can live happily ever after. And that's really what the book of Proverbs is all about. Solomon, the king, is teaching his son. Over and over again, you have Solomon saying, my son, do this. My son, avoid this. This is King Solomon talking to his son, the prince, and he's telling him, look, you're about to go out into the wide world, and when you do, you're going to face all kinds of temptations. You're going to have peers who want to sidetrack you and tempt you to do things you're not supposed to do. There's going to be women that are going to tempt you, and you're going to have lust towards them, and they can derail you from what kings are supposed to do. And so you need to avoid those temptations. You need to go out into the world. You need to master the ABCs of wisdom. And then you need to progress from the ABCs to learning about court life and learn about ruling and learn about justice and the art of government. And then you'll become a wise and noble king who can establish his kingdom in justice. But above all, Solomon tells his son, you've got to make wisdom your queen. That's the most important thing for you to rule well, for you to live happily ever after, you've got to make wisdom your queen. And that's what the book of Proverbs is about. We're going to read through the book of Proverbs as a church starting uh, at the first of May. And so I know this is probably different from what you've understood Proverbs to be or to mean 
before. So just look for these things we're, we're talking about. I'm going to lay the foundation today, kind of give you an overview of the book from Proverbs 9. But look for these things as we are uh, reading this together. And the, the climax of this story is Proverbs 9 that we're going to look at. It's the, it's the climax of everything that's happened before, and it's going to set up everything that comes after. Because up through chapter 9, there have been two different uh, ladies competing for the son's attention and affection. One of those ladies is wisdom. Wisdom uh, is competing for and wants the son's love and affection. And then the other is what, what Solomon calls the strange woman or the forbidden woman. This is a woman who's tempting the son to have an affair with her and to, to, to commit adultery with her. And so these two ladies have been competing for the son's attention. And now in chapter nine, the strange woman is gonna be symbolized by woman folly. And then there's woman wisdom. And both of these ladies who've been competing for the son's attention are going to give him an invitation that they want him to accept. Woman wisdom is going to invite him to a marriage ceremony, to a wedding ceremony. She wants to marry the young man. And woman folly is going to invite him into an affair. And the question is, who's he going to choose? What invitation is he going to accept? And Solomon tells his son, look, which invitation you accept is the difference between life and death. It's the difference between ruling well and destroying the kingdom. If you choose wisdom as your bride, things are going to be great. You're going to live happily ever after. But if you choose foolishness as your uh, affair, then it's going to ruin your life and it's going to ruin the kingdom. And the question is, who is the son going to pick? Which invitation is he going to Except, and that's going to make the, the be the difference between being a great king and ruining the kingdom. Now, may ask the question at this point, John. I, I just I just thought Proverbs was kind of just this book of homespun wisdom, just gave you tips on how to be wise. And a lot of people think that Proverbs is kind of like Israelite Dear Abby or Israelite Delilah After Dark. It's just here's some here's some practical tips for your relationships. Here's some practical tips for your home. Here's some practical tips for managing money. Here's some practical tips for how to, you know, control your tongue. And that's just what we thought the book of Proverbs was. And now you're telling me, John, that, that this is a book about uh, the King Solomon trying to train his son, the prince, to be a good king and to set up the kingdom well and to rule in justice and, and to make the right woman his queen. And, and so how does this book apply to my life if, if it's different than what I thought it was. Well, here's the way that Proverbs applies to our life. Even though that this is, this is exactly what's happening in the book of Proverbs is Solomon is training his son to become the ideal king. But the way it applies to our life is the ideal king is nothing more than the ideal Israelite. I mean, that's it. The ideal king is nothing more than, than what every Israelite was supposed to be. And so Solomon tells his son, look, you've got to, in order to be a good king, you've got to master the ABCs of wisdom. And so he's basically saying, look, first, if you want to be a great king, you've got to be a good friend and you've got to be a faithful husband and you've got to be a loving parent and you've got to be an obedient child and you've got to be a hard worker and you've got to be a good money manager and you've got to be able to control your tongue. You've got to be able to master the ABCs of wisdom, which is kind of the, the, the first 15 to 20 chapters of the book. And then it progresses into court wisdom and and, and ruling in the courts and how to uh, set up your kingdom and justice. 
later in the book. And so he's saying, look, if you're going to be a good king, king first, you've got to be a great Israelite. And so if you want to say it this way, the book applies to all of us commoners because this is simply what the ideal Israelite was supposed to be. And and so it applies first to the king, but then to us as we try to follow the example of the king. And so that's how it applies to our life. And so what Solomon is saying to his son here in chapter nine is you need to make a faith decision. You need to accept wisdom's invitation, which is uh, making a faith decision to put your faith and trust in God, to, to fear the Lord, because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so that's what he tells his son, you've got to make this decision in order to have a happy life, happy marriage, happy family, happy kingdom. And so for us, we need to understand if we want to foolproof our marriage and family and live happily ever after, then we have to make Jesus our king. If you want to foolproof your marriage and family and live happily ever after, make Jesus your king. Let's see what it, the Bible says here in Proverbs chapter nine. Just to start out, we're going to read the first six verses. Let's see what that says. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Here in these verses, we see wisdom's invitation to the young man, to the son, the prince, to come to this wedding feast, to come to this wedding ceremony. Let me explain kind of what's, what's going on. Wisdom, this, this woman that we're introduced to here who builds her house, wisdom has been mentioned by Solomon all along in the first nine chapters of the book. He mentions her in chapter one. He mentions her in chapter four. He mentions her in chapter Eight. He now mentions her in chapter nine. And over and over again, we see this woman that Solomon's saying to his son, listen to her, get her, be in a relationship with her. So what's going on? Well, wisdom is a personification of Solomon's wisdom, his wise teaching that he's laying out in the book. And ultimately we see from chapter eight that it's a personification of God's wisdom because Wisdom in chapter eight creates the world, builds the world. And so wisdom, this woman that's being presented is a personification of Solomon's wisdom and ultimately of God's wisdom. You say, what does that mean? Well, a personification is uh, taking an idea and giving it lifelike qualities, giving it human qualities. And so one classic example for us is we say that a personification is that lady justice is blind. And you see this, these statues of Lady Justice in courtrooms and so forth, that Lady Justice is blind. Well, justice is an abstract concept, but we then give it these lifelike qualities that is blind, saying that justice should be impartial. It shouldn't be, uh, that wealth shouldn't factor into justice, that status and power shouldn't factor into justice, that justice should rule impartially. And so we, we personify justice by saying she is blind. Uh, a funny way to, to say, um, talk about personification that I read recently was people say money talks, right? So that's, that's another personification. Money talks, which is just this idea that money can wield influence and you're giving it these lifelike qualities. Well, somebody said, people say money talks. All my money does is wave bye-bye, okay? It just, it just goes away. But personification is taking an idea, 
and giving it human qualities. Well, this idea of wisdom, okay, and, and, and hokmah, the Hebrew word for wisdom is a female word, is a, is a feminine noun. And so Solomon gives it this lifelike quality, turns it into this powerful, attractive woman that he wants his son to have a relationship with. And ultimately it stands for God's wisdom, for the wisdom of God. He's saying you need to embrace, believe in, trust in the wisdom of God. And we know that because in chapter eight, wisdom builds, creates the world. And so wisdom, he says here, has built her house and her house. Again, we see this connection between wisdom and God. Her house is a temple. We know it's a temple because it's built at the highest places in the city. And that's where they would build temples in the ancient world. And it has seven pillars, which 1 Kings chapter 7 in the Greek interpretation translation of 1 Kings 7, it says that Solomon's temple had seven pillars. And so uh, it's connecting with Solomon's temple and it's connecting with the house of God that Solomon built. And so this personification ultimately stands for God. And, And Solomon's saying, you need to embrace God, embrace his wisdom. And if you do, he says, you're gonna live. And so he has this, this symbol that woman wisdom, who ultimately stands for God's wisdom, has built her house, okay? We see later in uh, Proverbs 14 that uh, wisdom builds a home. So she doesn't just build her house, she builds your house, your home. And so you need to build your marriage and your family on wisdom because that's the way that the world works according to Proverbs 14. And, and so she's built her house and then she sends out her maidservants everywhere and they invite everyone come to the feast. And if you eat, you're going to live if you come to the wedding ceremony. And that's exactly the way the New Testament talks about the kingdom of God. You have all these parables that Jesus tells where the parable is the kingdom of God is like a, a wedding feast and the king sends out all the servants into the highways and hedges and invites everybody to come. And whoever comes to the feast is the one who's part of the kingdom of God and who receives eternal life. And those outside the feast are in a place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. They're in hell. And so we see that exact same image here. Wisdom is inviting and saying, come to me, come marry me and, and, and be in this relationship with me. And then she shifts in verse seven to giving an example of her wise teaching. Let's, let's see what it says and I'll explain what's going on. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will still be wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me, your days will be multiplied, and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will Bear it. Now, let me explain what's happening. She, she moves from the invitation to an example of her wise teaching. And here's why. The party that you choose, the invitation that you accept, whether you accept wisdom's invitation or folly's invitation at the end of the chapter is going to determine whether or not you can keep the wisdom of the book that's laid out in chapter 10 through chapter 31. And so the the invitation that you accept now, you have to make a decision right now before you go out into the wide world of chapter 10 through 31, which is the the, the kind of the parallel lines of of wisdom that we we usually associate with the book of Proverbs, kind of like, you know, as a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool to his folly. 
He's going to start laying out all of those wise sayings in chapter 10 through 31. And he's saying, look, you have to accept wisdom now, have to enter into this faith relationship with the Lord in order to be able to live out the wisdom in chapter 10 through 31. And so then she gives an example of how it's not just isolated tips, okay? It's not just isolated bits of wisdom. It's connected to a a right relationship with the Lord because here's the bottom line. What you believe determines how you behave, but how you behave reveals what you truly believe. And so the whole point here of wisdom is saying, look, whether or not you're growing in wisdom and walking in wisdom or growing in foolishness and walking in foolishness is a revealer of who you are ultimately putting your faith and trust in. It's a worship issue. And when you are are walking continually in foolishness, when you're a quarrelsome person, you're a, a husband who constantly getting into fights with his wife or a nagging wife, a quarrelsome wife, as he talks about later in Proverbs, you're a child who constantly is talking back and disobeying your parents. If you're somebody who can't handle your money, if you're somebody who's lazy at work, these don't just reveal character flaws. They're revealing that you're not worshiping the one true God, but you're worshiping something or someone else other than God. But if you're growing in wisdom, it reveals that you're worshiping the one true God because the one true God, he doesn't produce quarrelsomeness. He produces peacemakers. And he doesn't produce laziness, he produces hard workers. And so the way that you're walking, whether or not you're walking in foolishness or walking in wisdom, reveals ultimately who you are worshiping. And he gives this one example here of can you read a situation and see, okay, if I, if I speak up right now and I correct this person, is it gonna help and make them wise or are they just gonna get angry and it's gonna make things worse? Can I read a situation and know when I need to speak up and when I need to correct somebody or when I need to to keep my mouth shut because it's not going to do any good? And are you the kind of person who can be corrected? Are you the kind of person who can be told you're going in a direction that is harmful for you right now and you need to turn around? Do you receive that or do you get immediately angry? So like when your wife questions you about something, Do you blow up and say, how dare you? I'm not doing anything. You're just overreacting. Or are you able to humbly say, okay, what is it that I need to hear from my wife right now that's gonna help me be a better husband, help me be a better father, help me be in a better relationship than I am at present? What do I need to hear? How, what kind of correction do I need to receive? We all need these kinds of people in our life and we all need to be these kinds of people in marriage and family. Parents need to be able to correct children. Children need to be able to receive that correction. Husbands and wives need to be able to confront one another and receive correction and work through conflict together. This is absolutely essential. You know, I know in, in our day and age in which people say, listen, you have no right to tell me how to live my life and, and you can't say anything to me and I can't say anything to you. The book of Proverbs says no, Wisdom is being able to correct and be corrected. We need that. Remember several years ago when, when Simon Cowell left uh, American Idol and, and they were looking for a celebrity judge to replace him, they got Ellen DeGeneres for one year. She was on there for one year and then she quit. And they asked her, why did you quit? And she said, she said I just couldn't keep telling people that they couldn't sing. I just hated to tell people that they couldn't sing. 
and, and ruin their dream. And so I just, that just wasn't for me. And when I read that interview from Ellen, I, I just thought to myself, if there's anywhere in the world where people need to be told that they can't sing, it's on American Idol. Like those people who their parents and their friends and their family have lied to them their entire life. Oh, you're a great singer. You're going to be the next Elvis Presley. You're going to be the next Whitney Houston. Like, no, you're not. And you need to find something else to do with your life. That is something that those people need. And in the same way, you and I need to be told the truth and need to be told when we're going in a direction that's going to be harmful to us. And so whether or not you can correct, be corrected, read a situation reveals, have you chosen God? Have you chosen the wisdom of God? Or are you walking in foolishness? Are you worshiping something or someone else other than God? And so wisdom here stops. Verse 12, this is the last time that she's going to speak in the book. And we finally see the invitation of foolishness. Look there in verse 13. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Foolishness now gives her invitation. And just like woman wisdom, woman foolishness is a personification. She's a personification of the strange women that Solomon's been warning his son about in chapter and chapter two and chapter six and chapter seven. He's constantly warned his son about foolishness, about, uh, about these strange women, these forbidden women that can derail him. And now foolishness is a personification. Foolishness is the spiritual power that stands behind those women, okay? So maybe we say it this way. In the same way that the noble wife in Proverbs 31 epitomizes woman wisdom, okay, is a, is a pattern of woman wisdom. The, uh, the strange women in chapter two and five and six and seven epitomize foolishness that is presented here. And so foolishness is a symbol, just like wisdom is a symbol for God. And there's human beings that, that this man will interact with that, that point to those realities. So also foolishness stands for idols, stands for false gods that you can be unfaithful to God with. Say, so how do you know, John, that it's an idol? Again, same way, because it's, she's presented as the counterfeit to wisdom. Her house is a temple. It's at the high places. The high places is where the people of Israel would go and worship idols, worship false gods and, and cheat on the one true God. And Solomon knows it. You think about Solomon's life and you see all these connections here. Solomon went after strange women, went after foreign women, and they turned his heart away from God to idols. And that's exactly what he's warning his son about here. He's saying, listen, this is, this is a woman that's gonna lead you into idolatry, that's gonna lead you to be unfaithful to God, and, and it's gonna destroy your life and destroy your kingdom because that's what happened to me. And so he's warning his son about this. And we see, we see uh, that this is a, an invitation not to a wedding, but to an affair, because she says 
that stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. It's an illicit meal. And in chapter five, drinking water is used poetically to talk about uh, intimacy between a husband and a wife. And so here it's saying, my water is stolen water. It doesn't belong to you, but, but drink it anyways, okay? And so it, it's, this is uh, um, poetic about an affair, about an adulterous relationship uh, that is happening. And so we see these two invitations, the wisdom of God and then the foolishness of idols, and they're both being offered to the son. And the son, unfortunately, I think we have good reason to believe that the son chooses foolishness, that the son chooses uh, foolishness because first, historically, we know that Solomon's son uh, carried on his, his uh, failures with women, okay? And he had, he instituted prostitute worship at these high places where they would uh, worship false gods and worship idols, okay? So he, so we know historically that Solomon's son failed and that and that his failure was a failure of foolishness. He listened to, First Kings tells us, he listened to the peers that he grew up with rather than listening to the elders of Israel. And so historically, we know Solomon's son failed, but there are clues here in Proverbs itself. One of the main clues is in Proverbs 7, Solomon tells his son, don't go near the door of her house. Talking about the strange woman, don't go near the door of her house because it's gonna end, you're gonna end up in the grave. All right, and Solomon's son apparently has disregarded his dad's advice, has passed by at Wisdom's house here in chapter nine and has gone near the door of foolishness's house. And so he's headed towards the grave. We, we see that foolishness gets the last word in Proverbs nine. Wisdom does not get the last word. And then also, if you, if you turn in your Bible to Proverbs 30, at the end of the book, we see in Proverbs 30 at the end of the book that the son says, my life has been a failure. My life has been a disappointment. Look what the Bible says there in Proverbs chapter 30 and verse two. Surely I am too stupid to be a man. I have not the understanding of a man. I have not learned wisdom, nor have I knowledge of the Holy One who has ascended to heaven and come down, who has gathered the wind in his fists, who has wrapped up the waters in a garment, who has established all the ends of the earth. What is his name and what is his son's name? Surely you know. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. We get to the end of the book and the man says, I'm stupider than any other man. I have not obtained knowledge. And he says, I've not obtained knowledge of the Holy One. There's only two times in the entire book that the phrase knowledge of the Holy One is used. It's used in Proverbs 30 at the end of the book when he says, I've not obtained it. And it's used here in chapter nine when woman wisdom says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. And he gets to the end of the book and he says, I've blown it. I've not succeeded. I've failed. And so the end of the book is a crushing disappointment. But the disappointment is not the last word in the book of Proverbs. The last word in the book of Proverbs is a word of hope. Don't have time to read through all this, but let me just, let me just sum it up as we, as we close. 
The book of Proverbs ends, chapter 30 and chapter 31 are called oracles. They're called oracles, which means, which is the word used of prophecies in the prophetic books. And so these books are called, these, these, these chapters are called oracles, which means they're, they're prophecies. And here's the prophecy that's being presented at the end of Proverbs 30, that a new son, a new king will come down from heaven and he will choose wisdom as his bride he will establish his kingdom and he's going to live happily ever after. That's what Proverbs 30 and 31 say. The, the end of, of the book is the man saying, look, I'm stupider than the other man. I've not obtained knowledge of the Holy One. The only way somebody's going to truly be wise is if the person who's created the world and created the wind comes down, his, what's his name? He says, what's his son's name? So only if his son comes down to earth are we going to be able to see this type of king and this type of kingdom. And then he says, every word of God proves true, which is a restatement of a promise that God made to David, that David would have a son who would sit on the throne forever. And so the end of Proverbs is the restatement of the promise to David. There's gonna be a son. He's gonna come down from heaven. He's going to establish the kingdom. He's gonna sit on the throne forever. And then at the end in chapter 31, it's interesting we, we come to a chapter that's written by a mom and there's no dad mentioned. And her son, she says, her son's name is the one who belongs to God. And when she calls him my son, she doesn't call him my son in Hebrew. She calls him my son in Aramaic, which are the very words that, that Mary would have said to Jesus when she called Jesus my son. And he, in chapter 31, avoids the strange women, and yet and, and chooses wisdom as his bride. So we get to the end of the book, and we've got a son who's come down from heaven, who belongs to God, who chooses wisdom as his queen and lives happily ever after. So here's what the book of Proverbs is about. The book of Proverbs is not a fairy tale about a prince who goes out into the world, and he finds the right queen, and he, he he brings her back home and they get married and they live happily ever after. No, the book of Proverbs is like the best fairy tale you've ever heard come true in real life. Because what's happening in this story is the prince chooses poorly and he leaves the kingdom in ruins. But out of that rubble, a prophecy is foretold that there's coming a day in the future when a new prince, a new son of David, one greater than Solomon, will be born. And it's foretold that he'll grow in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. And he'll avoid the temptations of the evil one, the one that folly points to ultimately, the evil one, Satan. He will avoid his temptations. He'll choose wisdom as his bride because he alone truly fears the Lord. But not just that, all of his subjects are enslaved to folly and are headed for the grave. And yet this prince will trade himself for his people, go into the grave on their behalf, come out the other side safely so that the grave will never have the last word over the citizens that he loves. 
He will crush the head of the evil one. He will ascend to his throne in victory. And then the heralds of the kingdom will be sent out into all the earth and tell the news of what this king has done. And people from every nation will stream to the king, bow their knee, swear their allegiance to him and to him alone. And he and his citizens will live happily and wisely ever after. That's what the book of Proverbs is all about. And that's our only hope of living happily ever after is if we make that king our king, if we bow the knee to Jesus. We have a king who embodies the book of Proverbs. Isaiah chapter 11 tells us the Messiah is the one who is anointed with the spirit of wisdom and knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. We have a king who embodies the book of Proverbs and who offers to make us wise if we will come to him by faith. And the Bible says, all who are his followers will reign with him in the age to come. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, then right now you're in an internship training to be the future kings and queens of the universe. And in order to, to do that internship well and to grow, you first have to start with the ABCs. You first have to start in the home as a husband, as a wife, as a mother, as a father, as a son, as a daughter, and, and build your life on the wisdom of the book of Proverbs. Let me ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Let me pray for us. Let me pray that whatever decision that you need to make right now between you and the Lord, that you would make it. And the first one is this. If, if you've not made Jesus your king, if you've not asked Jesus to be your savior and your Lord, then, then I want you to do that today. That's the starting place in your marriage. That's the starting place in your family. That's the starting place in your home. It's the starting place with your parents. You can't be the husband, wife, mother, father, son, daughter that you've been called to be unless Jesus is your king. And so start there. If you've never made Jesus your king, make Jesus your king today. But if you have made Jesus your king, maybe you're not bowing the knee to him like you should. Maybe you're not walking with him as you should. Maybe you're not listening to him as you should. And so you need to repent. You need to confess that to the Lord. And you need to, to say, my life is yours. And my family is yours. My marriage is yours to do with as you will. And so let me pray for us that whatever decision we need to make, that we'll make it today. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would help us to make Jesus our king, that he would be the, the king of our marriage, the king of our family, the king of our house. And so if there's anybody who's watching today who's not put their faith and trust in Jesus, Lord, help them to recognize the foolishness of their life and the, and the sinfulness of their life and to turn from it and to turn to Jesus, who is their only hope. And Father, as we do, if we make Jesus the king of our life, then we'll get to see how he works in our marriages, in our families, in our homes to, to create and to produce the foolproof, wise life that he offers us. So help us to make him our king. We pray in Jesus' name.
Thank you for listening to the Christ Centered and Clear podcast. If you have questions or topics or texts you would like us to consider for future podcasts, please contact us at ChristCenteredAndClear at gmail.com and please visit us at ChristCenteredAndClear.com for more resources.